So uh, John's warned us about these individuals who will be preaching or presenting a different Jesus. And so um, we're going to, again, we're going to, you know, that's just something that's, that's in this time. Uh, the Gnostics are good. They'll say one thing and mean another. They always like to redefine things. So, um, so if Jesus Christ were not the righteous one, then what we're getting ready to look at today, um, in context of our personal sin, in the context of our fellowship with the Father, if he were not the righteous one, then he would not be a very good advocate. So our first blank on your study guide is Christ our advocate. Christ our advocate. First John 2 1, he says, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. Now, again on your study guide, this is clearly an apostolic command. <laughs> and I say that for a reason. This is clearly an apostolic command as well as a pastoral expectation. So instead of playing the hypocrite in our relationship with God, we want to seek to be in agreement with God. And we do this by, here's your blank, by an obedient walk. By an obedient walk in the light that he is. Now John, he he goes on in verse 2 and uh, verse 1, he says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, on your study guide, the ideal is to sin not. Okay? The reality is we will sin. So the ideal is we sin not, but the reality is we will sin. And when we do, even even in this, God provides assurance to the believer, to his children. Now, the question might be asked, why is the advocacy and the propitiation of Jesus Christ important to know in regards to our fellowship with God who is light? So, number one on your study guide, it is due to the fact that if any man sin, we need an advocate before a righteous and holy God in heaven. We need an advocate. We need an advocate. Uh, JB was telling me this morning how much he needs an advocate. And we do. We all need an advocate. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, light cannot fellowship with darkness, and, and darkness cannot abide where light dwells. So on your study guide, because he is Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is perpetually, perpetually is the word, before the Father in our stead. He is, he is our advocate. He is perpetually before the Father in our stead. There you go, sir. And also on your, on your study guide, all of the Godhead is at work in this wonderful assurance that John is writing to us about. So we, the, the whole Godhead is involved in this. So on your study guide, in Christ Jesus we have an advocate in heaven before the throne. Heaven is your word. First Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And then Romans 8.34, Who is he that con- condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So there is a clue to his advocacy. His ministry of intercession on our behalf before the Father. 
Also on your study guide, we have another one. By the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have an advocate for us here on earth. So we have Jesus Christ in heaven, and we have another advocate here on earth in the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know that we should pray, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we have an intercessor in heaven in Jesus Christ, and we have an intercessor dwelling within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So on your study guide, and this is the wonderful truth here, there is always this divine connection with God and his children. You're always connected with the Father. We have fellowship with the Father through the Son, and the Father has fellowship with us through His Spirit. Through His Spirit. So on your study guide, God never, never severs this divine connection due to our sin, but our fellowship with the Father can be disrupted by sin. In other words, you can't, you're not going to lose your salvation. But your fellowship can be messed up. Okay? Your fellowship can be messed up. Psalmist wrote in Psalms 51.12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So on your study guide, it is this disruption that has been mistaken by many as a severing from salvation. And it's not the loss of salvation is your blank. They experience so much as the loss of joy in fellowship with God that the spirit of man or woman experiences. See, that's the danger of a faith based in feeling rather than in the facts of God's word. You know, my salvation is not based on how I feel. Right now, I feel pretty lousy. Does that mean I've lost my salvation? No, I just I just feel lousy. I just feel lousy. You know, my assurance of salvation is not dependent on how I feel, but what is it dependent on? What saith the Lord? That's what our salvation is based on. That's what our salvation is based on. So in your study guide, one aspect of his being our advocate we can look at in in regards to Jesus Christ we can look at it in a judicial sense I've got that kind of clumsy there in your study guide but the judicial sense is your blank Uh, one aspect of his being our advocate we can look at the advocacy of Jesus Christ in a judicial sense yeah S-C-N-S-E or a judicial way, or a judicial perspective. Yeah. So on your study guide, based upon our faith in Christ as Savior, our identity is now in Him, Jesus Christ the righteous before the Father. So here's your blank. We are now righteous before the Father in our standing, being justified by faith. We are now righteous in our standing. That's that judicial sense that I'm talking about. 
because of our faith in Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ accomplished. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he continues, he says, by whom, Jesus Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So we're not standing on our works. We're standing on what? God's grace. God's grace. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So in a judicial sense or aspect, we're safe in our standing before the judge of all men. And because of our faith in Jesus Christ the righteous, by this faith in him, we are standing on the foundation of grace. His righteousness is now imputed to us. And therefore we stand on grace. Not on our works, but on grace. Um, I don't know, do I have Romans 4, 3 on your study guides? Yes. Okay. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, but whose sins are covered. Propitiation. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's you and I because of our faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. Now you should be shouting hallelujah because of that. Because that's a wonderful truth. That's a wonderful truth. And just as with Abraham that believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Also anyone who has faith in Christ as their Savior, guess what? That's counted unto them for righteousness as well. So it's not what you do, it's who you know, right? It's who you know. So on your study guide, it is this knowledge concerning this imputation, imputation, that is key to our understanding about Christ, our propitiation. Two big fancy words. But we're going to look at his advocacy right now. We're going to look at his propitiation when we get back together, but, well, maybe, if I get done with this. (laughs) So, honestly, as long as we're in these mortal bodies, all of us are going to be subject to sin. We're all going to sin. We're all going to say something stupid. We're all going to do something. We're going to fail to do what we should be doing. As long as we're in these bodies and we're walking on this planet, um, we're gonna we're gonna mess up. I mean, you might as well, you know, just come to the grips with that. You're gonna you're gonna mess up. But if you have solely trusted in Jesus Christ, your salvation is secure. All right. Now I know some folks get some heartburn because some of our brothers and sisters in Christ really mess up. They really mess up. And you kind of wonder, ah, are they really saved or not? Well, that's not for me to say. But if there was a day that they truly trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, yes, they are saved. I don't care how messed up they may be. 
Okay, A lot of people have heartburn over that. They just do. But I'm not the judge. All I am is someone to call them back into fellowship. That's, you know, reconciliation. Get them reconciled. Get them back into fellowship with God. Uh, But in the mind of God, and I don't care how messed up you are, in the mind of God, according to the purposes of His grace... Where are you at in the mind of God right now? Anybody want to take a guess at that? It's a place. In heavenly places. Thank you, Ron. I knew you were going to come through with this. Yeah, heavenly places. Right now in God's mind, even though we're sitting in here in this room, in God's mind, we're in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great, mer- for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In God's mind, that's where every one of us is right now. Because that's where we're headed. That's where, that's our ultimate destination. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. There's that word again. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So we stand in grace, folks. We stand in grace. So on your worksheet, these heavenly places would refer to the heavenly temple or sanctuary versus the earthly temple or sanctuary. And also before the throne of the Father, of which that's where Jesus is sitting right now. He's sitting on the right hand of majesty. So heavenly temple and throne is your two words. So what is not now true of us physically will one one day be true of us. Do you believe that? I hope so, because that's what the Bible says. I mean, as, 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 as mind-blowing as that is, that is what God's Word says. One of these days, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. So on your study guide, not in just a spiritual and judicial sense, spiritual and judicial sense as it now is, but one day in a physical, literal sense. One day we will see him as he is in our glorified bodies. Physical, literal sense. I like that word sense for some reason. I don't know why. I've been using it 15, 20 times now. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you believe that? I hope so, because it's true. And one of these days, it's going to be a reality. It's going to be a reality. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, and uh, all the way to 4, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, this body now, we groan, earthly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in the ta- this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
Well, I tell you what, today especially I'm looking forward to that because I'm not feeling very good, you know? But that is a reality that is true of all of us. That's true of all of us. Now, is this a truth that we accept because we feel that way? No. It's a truth that we accept by faith because that's what God says in his word. That's what God says in his word. That's what God tells of us that is true of us. I don't care how you feel. It's true of you. I don't care how much you've messed up. If you are truly a born-again child of God, that's still true of you. That's God's grace. That's God's grace. You know, this is something that uh, the Gnostics like to tweak and mess around with. And don't let them do that. And I'll give you some examples here pretty soon. So on your study guide... So due to the weakness of the flesh that is prone to sin, even though we have been declared righteous in a heavenly judicial standing in Christ before God, heavenly judicial standing, we will sin. And due to this potential to sin, we have an advocate. And Jesus Christ the righteous, who is in heaven before the throne of, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He's our advocate in heaven. Why? Because we mess up. Because we do. We mess up. Another reason we need to know why the advocacy and the propitiation of Jesus Christ is vital in our fellowship with God is number two. Because we need to know. <laughs> We need to know this about Jesus Christ the righteous. We need to know this. You know, one of the key words of this epistle is the word no. Why is that? Because there are people out there trying to give you a different knowledge that is not truth. So it's important that we know these things so that when these folks come with this knowledge... Because we know these things, we can say, that's a lie. That's not true. That's misrepresenting what the Bible says. So we need to know this about Jesus Christ, the righteous. Because of all of those false teachers out there that are plaguing the, plaguing the churches today. It is a lack of knowing about what, one, what one's faith teaches that has caused so much trouble in, this, in the church, especially in the Laodicean age. Especially, we have a lot of, and I don't mean, when I say things like this, I hope you guys understand, I'm not meaning to be mean, but we really do in this church age, we have a lot of biblically illiterate believers. We really do. They get their doctrine from Caleb more than they do from the Word of God. Well, you understand what I'm saying? So on your study guide, uh, the short definition of an advocate is someone summoned or called upon to one side. Call there to be one's aid or to appeal on behalf of the one they are called to aid or even to console. 
Now, that's kind of neat, because this very same word, advocate, is translated by another word in John's Gospel. Would anybody like to take a stab at what that word is? Comforter. Comforter. Now, who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So that kind of fits, doesn't it? Somebody called to one side, someone to be there as your aid, to appeal on behalf of another. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what Jesus Christ does. Now, our brothers and sisters, they may be very quick to condemn us when we fail. I've done it. I'm not, I don't think you guys have ever done it. But I've done it a few times. But not so our advocate in heaven. Not so the comforter that dwells within. They don't come, they don't condemn. He doesn't always chide. He comes to help. He comes to aid. He comes to console. He comes to want to reconcile us back into fellowship. You see, people get the wrong idea about God. Because they don't know God. Because they don't take the time to know God through God's word. God is not a big meanie up there with a big stick ready to come down on your head. He's a comforter. He's an advocate. He's someone who's, he wants you to succeed. And no, I'm not preaching that prosperity gospel junk. But that is biblical. What is God's aim for each and every one of us? What is he, what is he doing right now, this very minute? What is he doing? What is he doing? He's conforming us into what? The image of Jesus Christ. That's successful, isn't it? Manly Beasley said the, the measure of a success of a man is that which is true of them, written in the word of God, is what they live. So if you want to be a successful Christian, you live what God's word says of you. You live what God's word says of you. So he seeks to comfort, he seeks to restore. So on your study guide, when we do sin... We have the assurance that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is fully qualified to be our advocate with the Father. Fully qualified. Now, you might, this is also on your study guide, you might read or hear a preacher or teacher say that Jesus is like a lawyer or a lawyer, (laughs) a lawyer. In the heavenly court, pleading our case before the high judge in heaven. Well, surprise, surprise, I don't agree with that. I don't. Some even teach that Jesus is like a lawyer before a judge, making the case that the judge should have leniency and not throw the book at the offender. I've even read, and I have, I've read this, that that Jesus pleads to the Father not to kick the offender out of the family and send them to hell like they deserve. That's hogwash, folks. That's hogwash. This is not understanding what Jesus, our advocate, is all about. This, to me, preaches a works-based salvation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Man, if I really mess up and Jesus can't convince God to keep me in the family, then, whoa, 
Not eternal life. Not eternal life. You got that right. No, I'm standing on grace. I'm standing on God's grace. God's grace according, according to God's word. God's grace according to God's word. I trust in the atonement for my sin that Jesus Christ is. So this is not a salvation. I, I don't believe in a salvation based on works. I believe in a salvation based on grace. That's not my opinion, folks. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So again, as I've said before, 1 John is not about salvation. It's about fellowship. It's about your fellowship with God. Uh, John is writing to these folks. He says, "My little, he's writing to folks that he knows are saved. All right? So this is about our fellowship with God. And what interrupts our fellowship? Our personal sin. Those times we mess up. That's what messes up our, messes up our fellowship with God. That's why we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Now I can understand why some would view Jesus Christ's advocacy in this way. And I, I, I understand, I, you know, I get it. You know, um, you know, they, they present it like it's some sort of activity that a lawyer does on your study guide. But I don't think this is a biblical, uh, I don't think this is accurate. Uh, biblically but on your study guide it says a lawyer argues law and interprets law and to ensure the efficient and proper administration of justice you don't have that well you probably ought to write it down a lawyer argues law and interprets law and to ensure the efficient and proper administration of justice. I need to read that again? All right, one more time. A lawyer argues law and interprets law and to ensure the efficient and proper administration of justice. Now that's that's a definition right out of one of their legal books. So that's a legal definition of a lawyer. But is this on your study guide? It is not the law that gives life, but rather death. Yes. All right. So it is not the law that gives life, but rather death. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Romans 7, 9 through 11, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and guess what? I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. I do not see life here through the law. I see death. 
It's on your study guide. Hopefully this is on your study guide. Jesus Christ is the end of the law to those who are redeemed. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. It's through Jesus Christ we have life, not through the law. So you see, that's why I go against this idea of Jesus being a lawyer who argues law, interprets law, and ensures the efficient, proper administration of justice. Because guess what, folks? He's already taken care of all of that on the cross. Hasn't he? Sure he has. On your study guide, and Jesus Christ has delivered us from the law, its guilt, penalty, and ultimate condemnation. Yes, sir. That whole argument, too, of him as a, as a lawyer type thing totally breaks down the word of God, too, then, and its authority. Because then God is opposed to himself and he's not of one mind. Yep. If you try and convince him of something. Yep, exactly. There's so much going on there that it's wicked. Yep, it is. It is. So that's page five and seven. Thank you, Mark. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But he's absolutely right. It is. It, 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 it is. It just doesn't make sense. Romans 7, 6, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Yeah, the law doesn't give life. And Jesus is not a lawyer up there arguing the law on our behalf. No, we are saved by grace. That's where our life comes. Just like Mark says, that's contradicting God himself. He's he's contradicting himself. Doesn't make any sense. So, as far as the advocacy of Jesus Christ, this is this is what I believe is the biblical biblical way to look at it. So, on your study guide, Biblically, the advocacy of Jesus is best viewed according to his high priesthood. And it's in this promised better way that Paul writes about in the book of Hebrews that we're to understand his role as our advocate before the Father. He is our high priest, not our lawyer. That's his advocacy. That's his office of his advocacy. Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. By that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Are these on your study guides? Oh man, I can't believe I did that. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a lawyer over the house of God. Is that what it says? No. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you want to understand the advocacy of Jesus Christ, it's his high priesthood, not his being our lawyer. 
So on your study guide in the book of Hebrews, we see what John is writing about in these few verses of 1 John 2, 1 through 2. Jesus Christ, the righteous, in his office as advocate, high priest over the house of God in his provision, the blood and the flesh, that's the veil, as the propitiation is your word for our sins. Advocate and propitiation. Now some would argue that John is writing to predominantly Gentile believers at this period of time in in the, in the church and yeah during this time yes the probably the the population of the church at the time was a gentile population but that doesn't mean that there wasn't jewish believers there as well right and it doesn't necessarily mean that the high priesthood wouldn't be irrelevant to the church i mean it's in our bible it's in the book of hebrews and this argument presented by some is not much different from those who say that the Old Testament is irrelevant for the church. And the Old Testament is not irrelevant for the church. It's very relevant. I don't remember how the saying goes, but uh, we see the old and the new, and the new interprets the old. I think that's how that saying goes. I think. Andy Stanley, yeah, the son of the recently deceased Charles Stanley, argues that the church must unhitch from the Old Testament. We must unhitch from the Old Testament. That's his own words. Andy Stanley actually says, I am convinced for the sake of this generation and the next generation, we have to rethink our apologetic as Christians, and the less we depend on the Old Testament to prop up our New Testament faith, the better because we are in the culture. Now, does that sound right to you folks? He's no. basically dumping the Bible. He's dumping the Bible for the culture. And remember, that's what I told you. That's what the Gnostics do. It's not the Word of God. It's the standard. It's the society or the culture. It's the culture. So is Andy Stanley a Gnostic? In my opinion, yes. Yes. My question for such who believe this way is what do you do with what Jesus himself said in regards to the Old Testament scriptures? He said in John 5.39, he says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are, and they, are they which testify of me. I mean, that's a rich study, going through the Old Testament and seeing Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and all of those sacrificial types, and in the temple. Didn't I do, I did a study in this class on the tabernacle. And I try to point all that out as well. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus Christ is throughout the book. Both Old and New Testament. You cannot divest one from the other without doing serious harm to the whole. What is it that we teach? All the Bible is written for us, but not all the Bible is written to us. And a sharp Bible student understands that. Really, all you have to do is read the book of Hebrews and it connects it. It does. It really does. In fact, Hebrews is one of my favorite, my favorite books. Maybe Andy has a job to that book yet, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. And then you cut it out of his Bible. Not, you know, I, when I went to the Kansas City Baptist Temple, we had a fellow who, um, 
came to, to uh, speak to the church. I don't know, Brian, if you might remember this. I don't know. But he at one, he at one time was a big denier of the Bible. He got caught up in, in, in liberal theology in these liberal schools. And he brought his Bible, his old Bible, and uh, he held it up. And he flipped through the pages, and it looked like Swiss cheese. Because of the liberal education that he got, this Bible liberal training, what he did was he cut out of his Bible all those scripture passages that he was told that do not belong. And his Bible did look like Swiss cheese. It was so cut up. But of course, he repented of all that and, and he, you know, he, he got back to the truth. But that's, that's, that's what's out there, folks. That's what's out there. People aren't getting the whole book. They're getting Swiss cheese. They're getting Swiss cheese. And this is where the student of God's word has to rightly divide the word. Don't unhitch from the word. So don't listen to people like Andy Stanley. I don't give that kind of person the time of day. I really don't. I really don't. It's taken everything I have to understand the truth that I have to bother with what everybody else is saying. But that's me. That's me. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. And who's to say that uh, in this church that John wrote to, who's to say that uh, these Gentile believers weren't instructed on such matters? I bet they were. I bet they were. I bet they were. Oh, and another thing about this advocacy of Jesus, I know I'm getting off on rabbit trails. But in the Old Testament, the high priest wore a miter. That's what I tried to, that's a terrible. But you know what it said on the miter? Holiness to the Lord. So whenever the high priest had to, you know, serve and, and go into the sanctuary and the sanctuary of sanctuaries, he had to wear this, this, this miter that says holiness unto the Lord. That's in, in, um, uh, Exodus 39:30. Jesus Christ is that mitre, folks. He's that mitre. He's that holiness unto the Lord who is now ministering in that sanctuary in heaven on your and on your behalf and on my behalf. So don't unhitch from the Old Testament because you're depriving yourself of some treasure of some treasure. Okay. Get off of that soapbox. So I do believe that the, the, the folks that John was writing to, I think they, I think they knew. I think they were very familiar with this. I think they were. I think they were given the whole counsel of God. Uh, I just do. And, uh, and, and if you look at the advocacy of Jesus Christ in any other way other than his high priesthood, I don't think you're going to get the full truth of his advocacy. You're just not. Why not stick with the Bible rather than come up these other terms like he's a lawyer? So I want to talk about, do I have time? I want to talk about the high priesthood and the church. Now that title is not in your study guide, but that's where we're headed. Uh, Paul in the book of Hebrews, he's writing to believers in Jesus Christ. And these believers, all right, the book of Hebrews, who do you think he's, who do you think he's writing to? <laughs> Hebrews. But not Judea, uh, Judaistic Hebrews. These are Hebrews who have come 
to faith in Christ. Alright, so they were raised in the Hebrew religion, but they have come to Jesus Christ. And they were steeped in the teachings of the law. They were steeped in Judaism from childhood. If they were in a good Jewish home, right, they were taught their faith, their culture, all this stuff. What they were having a hard time with, and that's the reason why Paul wrote Hebrews, is they were having a hard time reconciling their new faith with their old faith. All right? Where does this fit? How does this fit? What does this mean here? What does Christ mean there? So Paul wrote the book of Hebrews to help them with that transition, to show them where it all fits. Where it all fits. Not much different from someone, let's say, who was raised in the Roman Catholic faith, or a Jehovah Witness, and they come, or a Mormon, and they come to this church, they get saved, they come to this church, they sit under the teaching of the Bible, a lot of that old stuff's got to be flushed out, doesn't it? It has to be flushed out so the new stuff, the mind can be renewed in the truth of God's Word. I remember when I was first saved, I was raised a Roman Catholic, and I mean I was a Roman Catholic, without a doubt. I was even considering going into the priesthood. I really was. When I got saved and I started going to, of all things, a Baptist church... Oh, let me tell you, that was anathema. When I start sitting under this teaching and hearing God's word, and, and I, in fact, I remember calling up my priest and saying, hey, you know, what we're doing here is not what the Bible says. And he told me to put that book away, that it was his job to tell me what the book meant. So all that had to be flushed out. And that's what's going on in the book of Hebrews. Okay, that's what's going on in the book of Hebrews. So on your study guide, uh, the priesthood in the Jewish faith is a key office to the Jews. So when the Jews think of the household of God, naturally they believe that they are that household being the chosen people of God of the seed of Abraham. And what was important for these Hebrew Christians that Paul is writing to to understand is that Jesus Christ has come and he is now the surety of a better testament. Hebrews 7.22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. See, that's what they were wrestling with. So on your study guide, the surety that Jesus Christ is of a better testament refers to the ever-abiding and unchanging character of his Melchizedek priesthood. This surety established by God's oath in regards to Jesus Christ's priesthood. That's why I think if you are going to consider the advocacy of Jesus Christ, you have to understand his priesthood to the believer. Hebrews 7.19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God, and as much as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a new priesthood and now being now established, folks. The old Aaronic priesthood is gone. 
It's gone. So on your study guide, as the surety, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the personal guarantee of the terms of the new and better covenant of grace secured by his propitiatory sacrifice on the cross. Personal guarantee secured by his propitiatory sacrifice on the cross. You've heard that old saying, it's written in blood. Yeah, it's written in his blood. His pure, innocent blood. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore is able also to save them to the uttermost to come unto God by him. Not halfway, folks, all the way. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Jesus Christ, the righteous, does not need to offer a sacrifice for himself. And it says he ever liveth to make intercession for who? Us. See, that's why his advocacy must be looked at through his priesthood, not as a lawyer. On your study guide, not to become too deeply involved, and I feel like I already am, in all of this, but essentially this is the intention of the teaching of Hebrews. The old Mosaic system has passed away and all things are now new. We're no longer under law, folks, never were. We're under grace. We're under grace. And if we divest ourselves from the Old Testament, as Andy Stanley says we should, then this doctrine of Christ's advocacy and propitiatory work on the cross wouldn't be fully understood by the church. It just wouldn't. You cannot unhitch from the Old Testament in order to understand the new. Just can't do it. If we divest ourselves from the Old Testament, then this advocacy and propitiatory work of Christ won't mean a thing to you, will it? It won't. Now let me ask, who, is, who are members of the household of God today? Anybody know? Who is that? There you go. It's you and I. It's us and, right? It's us. Hebrews, uh, Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, you Gentiles, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are built, you are, you also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You are the household of God. You are. I am. And that's what the, that's what Paul was teaching the Hebrews. These Hebrew believers in Hebrews chapter 3. Is that on your study guide? Yeah. No? Yes? yes? Oh man, I cannot believe I did that. 
Hebrews 3.1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded from builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But look at verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope from unto the end. We are his house. We are members of his house. Now, this is just not some dusty old doctrine that folks get bored with. And this is not something that you can dismiss or unhitch yourself from. You would be depriving yourself of a a, a firm foundation. And you don't want to do that. But that's what the Gnostics want you to do. They want to get you off of that foundation on their sand. Get you off the rock and put you on the sand. Don't let them do that. Don't let them do that. Okay. Let's get this last point. On your study guide, there's a lot of people standing around. In this dispensation of the church age, it is the redeemed in Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, that are the household of God, which Jesus Christ is the high priest over his house. That's what we just read. The church, uh, the church, and it, and it is in this office, his high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he serves as our advocate. That he serves as our advocate. Now there is a major denomination and I mentioned this last week, that holds to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that teach its people that, yes, Jesus is the high priest, he is the heavenly head of the church, but there's always this double-tongued Gnosticism that rests the scriptures. Yes, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus has, as his representative on earth, A right-hand man. A right-hand man, a prime minister, a shepherd of his flock in his absence. And who is this man? Anybody want to take a stab at that? There you go, the Pope. Yeah, the Pope. The Pope. Go to Ezekiel chapter 35 and don't call that. So this is their doctrine, and I read this last week. This is this guy, he's a, he's a Catholic theologian. He says, we are leading others, they will someday follow us into God's presence. You remember me reading this? Mm-hmm. Even as Christ's work made it possible for us to get into the presence of God, so in the future, Christ's work and our work will, re- will lead the rest of mankind into his presence. They too, that's you and I, will have the same privilege that we do. That's your priesthood. So the whole church of the first fruits goes first. That's your bishops, your priests, your popes. 
before God on behalf of the people who will follow at a later time. Even the ones who blaspheme God? Yeah. There again, you've got the they and the we. The they and the we. So on your study guide, this is the tactic of the this is the tactic of the Gnostic, reversing the roles, revising the meanings, all to seduce and to deceive. And this again is right out of their their book. And I, and the reason why I, I, I can quote this, guys, is because I've got the books at my in my house. Being a Catholic. This is the catechisms. So one of the titles that the Pope has adopted is the, is the Vicar of Christ, which simply means the mediator between God and man. The Pope's proper title, according to the Vatican, is uh, Bishop of Rome, Vicar of Jesus Christ, successor of the Prince of the Apostles. Now who is that? Supposedly Peter. Supposedly Peter. Supreme Pontiff or Leader of the Universal Church, Primate, one who has precedence above all others of Italy, Archbishop and Metropolitan of the Roman Province, Sovereign of the State of Vatican City, Servant of the Servants of God. So he's almost Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Pretty close. Pretty close. But yet, what does my Bible teach me? 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ, Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. He's my mediator. He's my mediator. And I'm going to close with this. I want to get uh, this, this last point I want to get in. And this is what it's all about. Colossians 1.12 Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the Satan light of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him are all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead then all things he might have the what preeminence preeminence sadly in the minds of many this preeminence is now seated in Rome rather than in heaven and I'm going to stop right there our advocate is not sitting in Rome. Our advocate is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven on our behalf. And I'll stop right there. Okay? Any questions?